when I'm up here, I'm singing. So this does feel like a little bit weird. I already thought about it. I was like, oh gosh, I could sing my um, what I prepared, but I'm not going to do that tonight. Um, we'll jump straight into it. We'll, we're going to start by reading um, in Philippians 4, verse 5 to 13. And it says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Can we all say put it into practice? Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Come on, why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads and let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that is perfect and flawless. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to renew and refresh our hearts and minds. Thank you that by your spirit, God, we are a new creation. Holy Spirit, change us from the inside out. And we all said, amen. amen. Come on, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. And to summarize what Paul is saying in that passage, he's saying, friends, brothers and sisters, you haven't yet attained the secret of being content in every circumstance because you haven't practiced it. And Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content and to learn how to do something, you have to put it into practice. So the title of my message tonight is Put It Into Practice. <laughs> and Pastor Nina powerfully preached this morning and she spoke about her committed practice and talking to the Holy Spirit every day through the gift of speaking in tongues. And that, that dedicated prayer life doesn't just happen on accident. It's actually been put into Pastor Nina's life intentionally and she's practiced it every day. And if we are to declare and proclaim this year, it can't stay within the walls of this church, but we have to put it into practice. And if you're here tonight and you've been proclaiming peace over your anxiety, maybe it's time to put some things into practice. And if you want to declare and proclaim claim this year. Don't let your praise and your worship stay in church, but put it into practice in your daily nine to five life. And my first point tonight is practice what you proclaim. And when you think of the word practice, like, but not just any kind of practice, like intense, engaged um, professional practice, you might be thinking of your favorite professional athlete that practices for I don't know, I don't know much about sport, but whatever it is, the competition, whatever they're preparing for, they are practicing. You might be thinking of your favorite NBA team. You might be thinking of your favorite team that you are rooting for. They are practicing. But when I think of the word practice and this level of intense practice, I don't think of 
a professional athlete or a basketball team, I think of the kids and the teenagers that come to BJT. It is like, anyone here a BJT kid? Come on, everyone's really shy now. Everyone's like, I don't want to put... I'm a BJT, Rachel was like, uh. (laughs) So you're probably like, what's BJT? So Brisbane Junior Theatre, basically it's a holiday program. Shout out to Jesse Bradford. Come on, BJT. It's a holiday program. It's um, basically these kids and these teenagers come in. They come into church and they learn a musical in a week. And it's actually amazing because I rem- what I remember from BJT was like, it was Christmas for me. And I was just so excited as a kid just to apply myself. I'm going to learn the dances. I'm going to learn the lines. I'm going to learn the songs. And I was so dedicated to what I was practicing. And the definition of practice is to carry out, to apply to be professionally engaged in, to perform or work at repeatedly so as to become proficient. And to practice, and practicing something is to be re- repeated and to practice is to carry out. And I remember as a kid when I would practice my lines, I didn't just say I would do it. Like I would, I would actually carry it out at home. I'd have my script, I'd give it to my sisters and I'd be like, test me, test my lines right now. I'm going to nail it. And I was so determined to get my lines correct because I wanted to walk into BJT the next day like, yeah, I know everything. Yeah, Jack Bradford, give me the thumbs up right now. I know everything. And it got me thinking because what we're proclaiming isn't just lines from a script to regurgitate, but they are promises from God. God, ready for us to put into practice. And what we proclaim is wonderful and it's powerful and it's life-changing and I don't want to grow familiar to the promises of God. I want to put it into practice in my life. So how do we carry it out? How can we practice what we proclaim? Well, it says it here with prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And in just my 22 years of life, I've learned that there is my way of practicing, but there is the best way. And there's a flawed way of doing things and there is God's way. I am directionally challenged and I have to put everything into Google Maps. And because I'm so directionally challenged, I would rather drive a certain way that I know than a new one. And sometimes when I put things into Google Maps, like when, when I'm driving and then there's like congestion coming up on the road. So Google Maps says, you know, this is the best way. Try this way. It's quicker. You'll get there 20 minutes faster. I'm going, no, I do not want to take the new way because I am so bad with directions. I would rather go like somewhere that I know. I don't really care if I'm like 20, if there's congestion, if there's construction, I'm going my way. Like I know Google, I don't want the fast way. And I'm comfortable going this way when I drive. And I don't want to try something new and quicker because there's just something nice about this is my way and I'm sticking to it. And if you're like me, I just get nervous when I try like a new direction because I know then I'm going to get lost. And it got me thinking because I got I, I meet so many people in the theater industry who practice a way that doesn't benefit them. And I meet people who 
practice, you know, changing their identity to feel like they belong and they practice things like anger, they practice being competitive, they practice putting walls up in their heart and they practice self-love. And God's saying that I've got a better way for you to practice, a more efficient and faster way. He's saying, I've got an excellent way for you to practice. You want favor in your workplace? I've got you. Hey, you're struggling in your relationships. I've got some things for you to practice. And if you're lacking wisdom, I've got principles for you to practice. And what we need to practice is um, in verse 8, whatever is true. We have to practice whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things, and this is what we need to practice. As we put what we proclaim into what we practice, we don't need to get it perfectly all the time as well. And I take a lot of comfort in knowing I can lean into the author and the perfecter of our faith. And my last point is God is perfect. We can take the pressure off trying to be perfect because I never will be, but our God is perfect. Um, I went to the Conservatorium of Music for university. Yeah, it's a real thing. You actually, you can study music. And I studied musical theater, which is even more like, wow, that's real. Yes, you can study how to sing, act, and dance. It's a real thing. Um, We have this professor, his name is Dr. Ron Morris, and he's like the scariest person to sing in front of. Like I, it's, he just knows everything there is about speaking and singing. Like I reckon if I went up to him ready to sing, I would breathe in and he'd be like, you're breathing wrong. Like I wouldn't even get to sing. So he knows everything. And he has this saying when it comes to practice and he hates this the saying that's practice makes perfect and he actually replaces it with a different line which is practice until you can't get it wrong and I love this saying because um, when it comes to a singer's approach to practice it's there's no perfect way of singing and even like different singers there's no perfect way to practice because we're all different and practice makes perfect is a completely unrealistic approach when it comes to efficient practice because sometimes as a human the best we can do is just to practice until we can't get it wrong and in my mindset and in the way we do things and when we do things in our own strength it's flawed but I want you to remember tonight that our God is perfect. Our God is perfect in all of His ways. His Word is perfect. And Psalm 18.30 says this, As for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's Word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him. And I want to put His promises into practice because my God is perfect. And I want to carry out what I proclaim. I don't want to lean into my flawed understanding. I want to lean into the flawless Word of God. And I don't want to go my way. I want to go His way. And I want His Spirit to renew my mind daily. And the best thing about church and coming here tonight as as we are here 
We don't have to practice God's Word alone. We get to do it together. We have pastors who want to walk alongside you. And we have life groups. We have a prayer team. And so as we practice what we proclaim, just be encouraged tonight that we can do it together. And sometimes it might feel overwhelming, but when we gather together as a community, it feels a little bit less stressful. So put what you proclaim into practice. And as we do it, be reminded that God's way is perfect and in our imperfection, we can lean into him even more. And I just wanted to close tonight. I actually didn't plan this, but I really feel that tonight, if you need a new mindset from the Holy Spirit, if you want your mind to be renewed, why don't we all close our eyes and just bow our heads? And if, and if that's you here tonight and you're saying, God, I, I don't want to work from this mindset anymore. I want to practice things your way, not my way, but yours. And if that's you here tonight, can you put your, um, just your head, hand on your head and so then I know it's you. Yes, I see those hands. Yes, thank you, Lord. Yeah, come on. God, we just thank you that we can't do things in our own strength, but we can do it with you. Lord, Holy Spirit, right now, can you renew and refresh our minds? We don't want to think the way we used to think. We want to think the way you have promised us to think, Lord. God, I just pray for those people with their hands on their heads. Holy Spirit, will you renew the way they think? Let us, let us put what we proclaim into practice that when we leave these doors tonight, God, that we won't operate from the childish thinking, but God, our mindset will be refreshed from the Holy Spirit. And I just pray peace over anxiety, Lord, right now, that you, there will be deep joy over people's depression here tonight, that we won't be operating from a mindset that isn't benefiting us, but we are operating from a mindset that is rooted in our identity in you. So God, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. God, I'm going to invite Che up to the stage. Why don't you give him a hand as he comes up? Great job. Thank you, Danny. How good was that? Awesome. Well done. You guys are scary, so she crushed it. So, you know, she was, what she said there, though, towards the end, like, I know you know this because you're here, but we go to a great church. And she, she said, you know, we don't have to do life alone, but there's pastors and all these sorts of people. And that is so true. I was having a, like, I was thinking right there, I've come to this church for a really long time. Like, when I was in primary school, my parents used to go to the elders' life group. So, like, um, they've known me since I was really little, and I used to go and sit in a spare room while they had life group. And then there's, like, Nikki Nisbet, um, took me through kids' church and, and all those sorts of things. Then Pastor Joe had to deal with me in my teenage years. So, you know, he's a strong man. He got through that. But it's like all this time as I've been growing and, and becoming who I am today, like there's so many people in this room who have played a part. 
And I think that that's awesome of not just even the pastoral team, but there's been other people who have invested. There's been people who have been praying, people like Pastor Fred who have just been so generous with their time if you allow them. So I just actually want to really back up what Danny was saying. If you're a younger person on this side, can I encourage you, go and find someone who's further down the line, who has experience, has walked the road, because I guarantee there is faith that will be stirred and there is wisdom that will be given. And like even recent, even today, like Alan, he's a great man. He checks in on me most weeks to make sure I'm being a good husband. He asks me every week. So it's like, we're, we're about community and doing, um, yes. I wasn't planning on saying that, but also Pastor Mark was saying that young adults, sometimes we can be biblically, biblically illiterate. So if I'm illiterate, it's on you. So <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Also, I am going to um, preach. Pastor Mark has asked me to speak on declare. And we're going to start by reading um, Luke 6, verse 43 to 45. And it says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick pigs from, uh, figs from thorn bushes. You don't pick pigs from trees. Um, <laughs> Yeah, or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Dear God, I pray that you breathe on my words tonight. Lord, my words will help nobody, but Lord, a touch from you will help everyone. I pray that we leave tonight knowing a little bit more about you, a little bit deeper in love with who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm talking tonight about declaration. And you know, as Christians, we are being watched. This, this Bible verse just here just says, good trees produce good fruit. And as Christians, we are called to be people who produce good fruit. And that means that you are not in your workplace, you're not in your school, you're not in your university by chance, but you were put there strategically by God to produce fruit, to spread His glory, to expand His kingdom, to point people to an almighty Father who loves them so desperately and is waiting for them to come running into His arms. But if we are in this workplace and we are in these places, for us to do that, people are watching what we say and what we do. And you know, this here made it very clear that what's in your heart is what's going to come out of your mouth. So tonight, I don't necessarily want to critique the things that you're saying, but I want to ask you, how's your heart? Because we are carriers of hope. We are carriers and beings that need to point to, to a God, an almighty God who loves his children. When I, when I talk to people at school, I work at an awesome school, Lawton State School, but there is a lot of low SES and brokenness and helplessness in those environments. And for people who don't know God, their declaration is very often based upon their current situation and previous life experience. They've got no one to hope with. They've got no one to be like, who's going to get me through this situation? Where as Christians, we know God. We have a hope. We have something that we know we can depend on and trust, but these people don't. As Christians, we need to be spreading this. We need to be spreading God's glory, spreading his love, shining a light in darkness, because these people don't recognize the words that are coming out of their mouth, aren't actually helping their life, but it's just things they can't do. If you got a medical report of something that doesn't look like there's a way out of, if a doctor tells you you've only got weeks to live, well, they go, well, well, all I know is that you get this and you die. 
But we know that there is a God who still works miracles, a God that is full of power, that the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And we know that there is a God who's waiting to move in circumstances if they give him the chance. But we need to be people who declare things. And like this says, it's what is in our heart is gonna come out of our mouth. You know, this means that it's so important that we protect our heart. We need to be, Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. We need to be people who make sure that it's the fruits of the Spirit that are in there and not other things because it can have a drastic effect on our outlook and the declaration that will leave our mouth if we don't protect our heart. You know, we really, really need to be going this. The the Bible talks about the heart being almost like your central being. Your thoughts, your beliefs, the way that you act and what you do, it comes from your heart. It's like your spirit. And if we're not protecting this, then everything we do outside of it is going to be through a skew or or an angle that's not actually true of who God is. You know, we need to be careful with our words. We need to protect our heart. Because if we're walking around kicking stones, being like, life sucks, this is the worst, I hate my job. Well, how are we representing a good God? We are being watched and we need to keep our hearts pure. So why is this important? You know, um, like I said, the Bible talks a lot about our heart and what is in it. Proverbs uh, 19, it talks about how water reflects a man's face and a man's heart reflects their life. It says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. There's all sorts of things. In Matthew 15, Jesus talks about, it's not food that you eat that defile you, but it's the things that are in your heart. So if people in your situations, in your workplaces and stuff heard you talk, does it align with Christ? Or have you let some things creep in that start to skew or muzzle or mute your declaration? God wants to move where you are, but we need to be protecting our hearts. You know, in Matthew 15, Jesus is talking about different things, lustfulness, um, murder, adultery, stuff that we can probably agree isn't ideal. Right, if we're letting those in our hearts, but it, but it very quickly, if we let things that aren't the fruit of the Spirit into our hearts, it will definitely change your language that you use. You see, if you're someone who looked through, if you let lustfulness into your heart, for example, and you started to sexualize the people that you see around you or the world around you, it doesn't just affect your outlook, it affects your looking at yourself too. Because it doesn't just affect how you see other people, but then you start to see yourself through that same lens. And suddenly it's not, I'm made in the image of God, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It becomes, I'm not skinny enough. I'm way too overweight. I'm not strong enough. And we start to rob ourselves of the declaration and the miracle of who God has formed us to be because we've allowed things into our heart. Or what about bitterness? The Bible is so clear about not letting bitterness take root in your heart. And the reason for that is because if we use Pastor Mark for an example, if I, for some reason, was bitter towards him, you know, we know that God is good. We know that Pastor Mark's gonna have a life full of ups and downs like every, each, and, each and every one of us. But there's gonna be times in his life where God being who God is is gonna bless Pastor Mark. And if I've let bitterness into my heart, I'm not gonna be like, wow, how good is it that God is moving in Pastor Mark's life? My declaration's gonna become, well, why isn't that me? My declaration's gonna be like, I can do that better. Like, what's the, have you even seen what he does? Your declaration isn't to build Pastor Mark up or to be thankful for what God's doing in his life. It's to tear him down at any opportunity you get. And I think that it's something with people my age is another one is comparison, very similar to bitterness. One that I hear a lot about at the moment is like people worrying about whether they're gonna get into the housing market or not. But if we let this take root in our heart, that's not something that we want there. 
And instead of actually looking at what God has done in your life, the fact that you live in Australia, one of the best countries, that you have water and a tap, that you probably have multiple cars and paved roads that you can drive around on, rather than being God is a God of surplus that will take care of my needs, it becomes, well, they've got a house and I don't, and well, God can't provide for me. Can he give me what I need? We need to be protecting our heart, church, because it's what's in here is going to come out of our mouth. And that's what people are listening to. You know, at the start of the year when Pastor Mark said that we're, like the word for the church is um, declare and proclaim, we have that new year excitement. You, you, you have your goals, you have your ambitions, you know so, sort of what's going to be in front of you for the year. Maybe it's you starting a new job. Maybe you're going to graduate from high school or uni. Maybe it's you're expecting that child. And I think that we can all agree that when things are going well, it is so easy to declare how good God is. It is so easy. When, when everything is going your way, it's like, mm, this favor on my life is not fair, but that's okay. I receive it. And you're just walking around. I am, all I do is win because the victory is already won and it is all done, son. Like I'm just claiming all these declarations and it's in our good times that it is so easy. But what happens if you get to the middle of the year about now and the expectation of what you had at the start of the year doesn't align with what's happened right now? What happens if people at your workplace got promoted over you? What happens if you failed a course in your uni degree and you didn't get to graduate when you thought? What happens if things didn't quite go to plan? Are you protecting your heart? Or are you letting things creep in, start to change what your declaration is? Just because your situation isn't where you thought it is doesn't mean that our God has changed. It doesn't mean that our God's not good. It doesn't mean that our God's not in control because he's still the same God that he was back then and he's still the same God today and he's still the same God that he's gonna be in 10 years time when you get to where he asked you to be. But as Christians, I believe that we need to have a consistent declaration in the good times and in the bad times. You know, we talked about what happens if you don't protect your heart and it can skew your declaration. We know that it's easy to declare God's goodness in the good times, but what about in the bad times? How do we navigate that season? And fortunately for us, the Bible is full of people who are human just like you and me, who had the same uh, temptations, who had disappointments and things not going the way that they thought they would. But the good thing is, is that there's people in here who despite their circumstances were still able to declare God's goodness despite their situation. And church, we need to be like this. We need to protect our heart. We need to be able to declare that God is still good in the good and the bad. You know, what about Gideon? He was oppressed. What about Job who lost everything? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What happens when they got thrown before the king and they're like, bow to me or else we're gonna throw you in this furnace? I don't know about you, I've never been threatened to be thrown into like a furnace. Even though there's probably times where I've annoyed my dad and he's got a furnace down at his work. So I've probably been closer than you think. Um, but you know, I love the faith of, of these guys. I love that I'm sure they didn't get it right all the time. But in this circumstance, when they are literally, their hands are, uh, it, sorry, their hands are tied, it looks like they're about to die. It looks like they're about to be thrown by guards into this piping hot furnace. And I love the faith on them. What do they say? It's like in Daniel 3. They, they go, we serve a God who can save us from the fire. But I love this next part because this is their faith. For he says, but even if he doesn't, 
But even if he doesn't, we will not bow to your gods. In the face of adversity and things going wrong, they were still able to declare God's goodness. What about, what about um, Paul? Paul's another one. You read Ephesians. He starts off by saying, oh, you know, um, praise be to God, our Father, Lord and Sa- uh, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, thank him for every spiritual blessing we have received, right? And he's going off and you're like, oh, he's, he's, in, he's doing well. My man Paul, he's, he's in a good place, right? And then you get to Ephesians 6, you get to the end of the letter and he's like, oh, by the way, pray for me. I'm in chains. I'm an advocate here. Pray that I can preach boldly. In the middle of a terrible time of his life, he's still able to work out what God is doing and how God can use him in the good times and the bad times. What about King David? He got told he was going to be king and then spent years getting hunted. I don't know about you, but I would kind of question. I'd be like, God, you know, you kind of said something. But even then, it's like in in Psalm 63, he talks about how God satisfies him, how his unending love satisfies him more than life itself. Even in these times where he's in the wilderness getting hunted, God is still good. Church, our declaration, it, it identifies who you are and your intentions. And, and what I mean by that is if I talked about a controversial topic, which I'm not going to do, don't worry, Pastor Mark, all right? <laughs> You're not going to have either emails on Monday. So, but if we talked about that, depending on what I say about that issue or that topic, would identify where I stand on it. So in this world... When people hear what you say, do they identify you with Christ? How's your heart? Is it in a good place? Or have you started to let things creep in? Our God is in control. We can't let our circumstances on this temporary earth dictate the things that come out of our mouth about an almighty, powerful God who is in complete control. So how do we do that? It's, it's not always easy. These people that I said um, before and gave examples of, like, yes, they had great faith and were able to declare in their hard times, but it's not always easy. But I think it's important to always remember how we got here, where we've come from. My favorite declaration in the whole Bible is three simple words. It is finished. You know, where would we be if it wasn't for Jesus? Jesus said seven things on the cross. Seven things, so we should probably take notice of them. There's um, forgive them, Father. There's you'll be with me in paradise. There's um, mother, behold your son. Oh, sorry, women, behold your son. There's Father, why have you forsaken me, which they say is a reference to a psalm, so it's not actually him being angry at God, but even despite the worst circumstances, he's still there praising God, according to some commentators, which is pretty cool. Then it's I thirst, and then he gets to this one, it is finished. And then the last thing is, into, my ha- uh, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he breathed his last breath. But, you know, the reason why I believe that Jesus said it is finished on the cross, because in reality it wasn't. It was finished when he raised from the dead. But I think that Jesus knew that even in his most painful time of his life, in his human bodies with nails drew- driven through him, uh, through his ankles, he wasn't there like, God, why didn't you send someone else? He did it for you and me. But the reason why I think he said it's finished here is because I honestly believe he'd done the hard part. Because it's way harder to live a life that's blameless and sinless so that he could die as the ultimate sacrifice. He knew the Father. 
He knew, the, he knew the Holy Spirit. He knew that raising him from the dead wouldn't be hard. He didn't have really much to do with that. It was the Spirit. But, but he had to go and live a life without of sin. Church, where would we be if Jesus didn't do that? Where would we be? So if you want to keep your heart pure, if you want to be able to declare God's goodness in the good time and the bad time, I think Romans 5 is a really, really good, um, is a really good place where we can get that. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, uh, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church, there's three things in this passage that I believe we need to anchor our hearts to because it will sustain you in the bad times and it will remind you in the good times that really we didn't do much to get where we are. And the three things is this. The first thing is that we are at peace with God. This is big. We're at peace with God. When you were born, when I was born, we didn't know who God was. But the good thing is, is depending, whatever your age is in this room, We've literally found the creator of the world, and he's not against us. We are, when it says we're at peace, it doesn't mean that things are always going to feel good and it's all zen and everything's coming up, Larry. But what it means is it's like God's back's not to you. He's accepted you with open arms. When we get to that day of judgment, he's not going to be like, I don't know you, but it's going to be welcome home. We're at peace with God, and that is huge in this life in the good and the bad. The second thing is we have access to grace. I don't know about you, but I need some grace. All right, so there's, Rach can tell you. <laughs> so I, I am like everyone else in this room. I fall short. I might be at peace with God, but I am still a sinner. Despite my best intentions to be more Christ-like every single day, I would still fall short by a long way on my best day. And that's the reality of it. But there is grace for you and there is grace for me. That we've been accepted and we're at peace with God, but there is a grace for every single thing that you regret that you have done. There is grace for everything that God knows that you will do in the future. He didn't pull Jesus off the cross and say, mm, can't forgive that one, right? We have grace and grace abundantly. And the third thing is we have hope in the glory of God. You know, this is what the world needs. The world is so lost, church. They are searching in all the wrong places for the hope that we know. We know who he is. There's evidence of him in this book. But church, we have this hope that even if everything went so terribly wrong, that the promise has been given, it's not in fulfillment yet, but he is gonna restore everything to how he has called it to be. We have hope in the glory of God. The battle is won. Church, those three things really should sustain us through every season. And if they don't, I question, do you really know Jesus? Which, which is hard hitting, but I promise you, he is all you will ever need. In the good times and the bad times, if you can't get through life on your worst days knowing that you are forgiven, that there's grace and you are going to heaven and there is a hope for a future for you, then what else is there that can make you happy? 
And if you are in this place and you're like, well, maybe I don't know that Jesus yet, that's cool, that's fine. But can I encourage you, get to know him. Because he loves you far more than you could ever know. And I promise you, you will be saying great things of declaration once you accept him into your heart. 